you're tuned into Decay Mag Podcast Online source for horror, thriller and sci-fi entertainment news Good evening ladies and gentlemen and welcome to Episode 4, Season 5, DK Mag Podcast. My name is Ken Artuz, founder and editor for DKMag.com. Please visit our website at DKMag, D-E-C-A-Y-M-A-G.com. And remember, we are DK Mag, not DK Magazine, not DK, not the letters D and K. Joining me as co-host is... Stacy Cox, staff correspondent for DK Mag. We're on Stitcher. Be sure to rate and review DK Mag Stitcher rating and reviews and help us rank. And you could also find our podcast on Google Music and iTunes, iTunes Podcast to be exact. And in this episode, we'll be presenting news for movies, some trailer first impressions. And also we have two interviews, PJ Starks, producer for the newly released horror anthology Volumes of Blood 2 and we also have Victor Matthew he is the director and co-writer for the upcoming found footage film The Monster Project so stay tuned for that Movies Pacific Rim Uprising Delayed. Pacific Rim Uprising will release on March 23, 2018. The action-adventure sci-fi. It is directed by Stephen S. DeKnight. Co-written by Emily Carmichael, T.S. Nowlin, Kira Schneider, and Guillermo del Toro. The sequel to 2013 Pacific Rim. This date has been changed from its original date of February 23rd. The cast stars Scott Eastwood, Tian Jean, Adria Arjona, John Boyega, Bern Gorman, Charlie Day, and Rinko Kikuchi. No trailer or plot have been released at this time. Stay tuned for updates. Ken, have you seen the first Pacific and what do you think about this sequel? Yes, Pacific Rim is one of one of my personal favorite science fiction films. Um, that is the first film that I have that has ever been made that features kaiju, which is those giant uh, monster creatures, against giant robots. At first, I thought it was going to be a corny film. But of course, Guillermo del Toro, ah, man, this guy does not make anything corny. And so the film was, was good. I enjoyed the visuals. I'm not a big uh, computer f- uh, CGI fan, but you got to give credit where credit is due. This film was, was pretty good. So this is a sequel that has uh, long been waiting for fans of this uh, first film. Uh, what was your opinion on it? Did you ever get to see Pacific Rim? I did, and I loved it. Um, I vaguely remember it. It was so long ago when I watched it, but um, I cannot wait for a sequel. Uh, and I can't wait for them to finally release the synopsis because I'm like dying to know 
you know, uh, how the story is going to continue. And I do remember, wasn't Irish Alba in the first one? Yes, he was. And also Charlie Hunnan, he a very popular actor. He's a rising actor and uh, he starred in Sons of Anarchy. That's where he got his uh, fame. And uh, yeah, him and Idris Elba's character, they were, you know, they had that friction. There were a lot of characters in there that had friction and then at the end, they all uh, helped each other out for the greater good. So there was a lot of character development. The plot was was solid. Yeah. So uh, we have a different director now. So let's see if they uh, if they could fill the shoes that Guillermo del Toro uh, left behind. Yes, I um, I definitely agree, and and I'm also. Uh, kind of excited for Scott Eastwood. He seems to be making a name for himself pretty fast, pretty fast. So, um, I'm excited for him. Scott Eastwood, let's see. Yeah, uh, I, <laughs> I, the only film I, I remember or I've seen him in was, uh, uh, let's see, it was that romantic movie the longest ride and it wasn't by choice <laughs> believe me that was not by choice and i remember the audience they were half asleep watching this film i like what the hell did i get myself into here <laughs> so yeah you know when i first yeah when i first saw the commercial for that movie i'm like oh that looks interesting i'm thinking like yeah no maybe not but um <laughs> Yeah. Honestly, I had no idea he played in Gran Torino. I did watch Gran Torino, and maybe it's because I vaguely remember that movie as well. But also, apparently, he played in Suicide Squad as Lieutenant GQ Edwards. Right. Which I have yet to see Suicide Squad. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and he played in Texas Chainsaw 3D as Carl. You know what? Maybe because then I didn't even know who Scott Eastwood was. And I'm just now recently, you know, finding out like who he is. So maybe that's why I'm like, who is this guy? Right, <laughs> okay. right. Well, you know, he's following in his father's footsteps. As we all know, Clint Eastwood is his dad. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's good to see that he's following his dad's footsteps doing the acting. Uh, let's see. Uh, how what what type of role he has in Pacific Rim Uprising? I, I just as you stated, Stacy, I cannot wait to see what the synopsis is, and also for the teaser or trailer, I want to see how the cinem cinematography is with this film, since Guillermo del Toro is not directing. Yes, definitely. Um, I definitely hope that it's just as good as the first one. Right, right. Well, let's see. Because if they mess up part two, of course, uh, there's no reason to do part three. Let's, let's not, you know, milk it. Just like how other film franchises have been milked and over time they just deteriorate. If this doesn't work out, just, just leave it as is. You know, that's it. Definitely. 
definitely. Uh, just <laughs> oh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> exactly. And part two turns out not to be a success. Just don't continue. <laughs> exactly. And there's so many other films, especially in the horror genre, that did not deserve to have 20 chapters and 20 parts to it. No, there's no reason for that. No. Right. Oh, such a it's it's such an aggravation when you think about it. And I'm I'm just scrolling through uh, the pictures for Pacific Upri Pacific Rim Uprising in IMDb, and well, right now it just looks like uh, behind the scenes steals. So nothing that's really capturing your attention as of yet. Right. I guess they're going to keep the robots and the kaiju uh, a secret, which that they were, they were the stars of the first film. They did not need big name actors for that film. The stars were the robots and the kaiju. Those were, it was like a gigantic boxing match at the end. Yeah, I, I love that film. so. I am definitely excited to see where Uprising goes. So hopefully we get, you know, synopsis soon, a teaser trailer, as you said, soon, and just more information about it. Right. Because according to INDB, it has a March 23rd, 2018 release. So that's right around the corner, if you think about it. So some more information would be coming up. So definitely tune into DK Mag uh, for that as it becomes available. Alex Garland follows Ex Machina with Inhalation 2018. Alex Garland wrote and directed Ex Machina, the drama, mystery, and sci-fi released in 2014. And in my opinion, this film was one that was way ahead of its time. The film is actually an adaptation to the novel written by Jeff Vandermeer. And the synopsis to that film reads as follows. A young programmer is selected to participate in a groundbreaking experiment in synthetic intelligence by evaluating the human qualities of a breathtaking humanoid AI. That film even received a nomination for original screenplay, which is not surprising because the Ex Machina Ex Machina did not get the attention it deserved. It just flew under the radar. So Ex Machina is getting a sequel and it's titled Annihilation. Actor Oscar Asik, who stars in Ex Machina, will also star with Natalie Portman, uh, Tessa Thompson, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Gina Rodriguez are slated to co-star in this sequel. Natalie Portman, she's going to be portraying the role of a grieving biologist who signs on for a secret expedition into alien ter territory. Annihilation has a release date for February 23rd, 2018. Um, as I stated, Ex Machina was a film uh, ahead of its time. I, I enjoyed it. It was deep. It was thought-provoking. It presented a scenario that is up for debate and that is artificial intelligence 
and transhumanism. That is a very controversial topic. And this film really portrayed each of those topics very well. I'm eager to see how this sequel is going to come into play. Will it have that same effect as the first film? Or are they just going for entertainment value using these themes? That remains to be seen. Uh, so, Stacy, have you seen Ex Machina? No, not yet. And I've been meaning to watch it. Yeah, put that on your neck, Felix, uh, cue. Uh, you'll really enjoy it. It's a, it's a deep movie. It's not one of those movies that is like popcorn movies with action. It, it makes you think, think, and think some more. Yeah, I've uh, I've seen the trailer for it, and um, I do remember adding it to my Netflix queue, but I haven't watched it yet. Definitely, I feel my plan to get around to soon. You know what I noticed? There are a lot of films. Well, this one, Ex Machina, released not too long ago in 2014, but um, since then there have been a lot of films that have been covering these fringe science. Uh, explorations, research, transhumanism is one of them. Um, well, the bulk of these films are transhumanism, and that's a controversy because that is your blending computer into the human psyche or the human body. You know, we don't need that type of enhancement, or we don't need to be serviced by a artificial intelligence that just does everything for us because then in the long run that would make us into a very lazy species so there is these pros and cons this big debate about it todd mcfarland gives spawn update the new spawn movie is a recurring topic here at dk mag in february 16 2016 we discussed todd mcfarland's script that at the time he revealed on Facebook. Now in an interview with comicbook.com at the San Diego Comic-Con, Todd McFarlane revealed some insight on the next Spawn film. McFarlane teamed up with Bloomhouse to make this film. And as we all know, Bloomhouse is responsible for some good films and some utterly garbage like Paranormal Activity. The Purge was good, Split, it did great in the movie theaters uh, recently and of course Get Out was just phenomenal. So here's what McFarlane had to say about teaming up with Bloomhouse. Quote, the thought was always and I never moved off of it was that I'd write, produce and direct which I will. So now I need to surround myself with people that we're going to make me look good. And one of these and one of the first steps is to get a good production house and it sounds silly what I'm about to say that can make a low-budget movie unquote now of course we all know Bloomhouse is hit and miss are they a good production house that is up for a matter of opinion uh, with their slate of films recently of course they're doing well but as I had mentioned, Paranormal Activity uh, came on board and the franchise just crumbled. They milked that franchise. So the Spawn movie is not going to be focusing on Spawn per se. 
it's going to be focusing on different slate of characters. And here's what Todd McFarlane had to say about that. Quote, there's two big roles in the script. There's obviously sort of Spawn himself, although in a weird way, it's not the biggest role. And then there's the cop. The cop is the character Twitch, who's been there since issue one. Twitch is the role in this one, and I sort of refer to him as my Sheriff Brody, who is the sheriff in the Jaws movie. Although it was called Jaws, Jaws didn't really talk a whole lot in his movie, right? He just kind of showed up at the opportune time to make the movie worthwhile. Unquote. Now, Stacy, correct me if I'm wrong. But are you familiar with Spawn, the comic book, or even the movie? Only hearing about it. I've never seen or read them. Well, Spawn is like an anti-hero. He is a demon who comes from hell. And he seeks, you know, it's a typical revenge story. And one of his characters... uh, um, One of the things that makes this character human is the fact that his wife remarried and has a daughter with his partner, which his partner is the, I think, if I recall, was one of the guys who killed off this character. And yeah, according to this, it doesn't seem that Spawn is going to have a speaking role in this movie, which sounds baffling. So now we have a cop. So, who, for those in the audience who are aware of the Spawn storyline, Sam Burke and Maximilian Switch Williams are two fictional NYPD homicide detectives in the Spawn story. Weird. This is weird. So here, it's getting even weirder. Todd McFarlane stated the following, quote, It might not seem it, but Jaws and Spawn have a great deal in common, at least from a point of view standpoint. It was Sheriff Brody, the humans talking, chasing the fantastical thing that sort of made the movie. And to me, that's the element. Everything else is normal in the story other than the shadow moves. And at at times, even when it moves, the cop just sort of thinks he's losing his mind. So he doesn't even trust the shadows moving. If you're a bad guy, then this thing is going to come and is going to get you. Unquote. Do you understand where this plot is going, Stacy? Because I kind of got a feel that it's a supernatural guy, uh, superhero. He doesn't talk, but it's the focus is the cops investigating the murders of these criminals. You get that vibe? Yes, and like the last time we actually talked about it, um, I think it was in an article, didn't it actually say that it was going more supernatural than horror? Right. He considered the spawn to be a boogeyman. I do remember in when Todd McFarlane revealed parts of his script on Facebook that he said something like that. Yes, I remember that. Um, yeah, but I, I have to watch uh, Spawn. I think I remember I had saved it to my watch list a while back and just forgot to watch it. But um, 
I've heard a lot about it, so. And the comics, no, I'm not very familiar with the comics. Yeah, well, I have I have read the comics. As a matter of fact, I, I have issue one. And uh, a lot of people uh, did not like Spawn the movie. And it, it, it looked very... Of course, it's coming from a comic book, but you have to make the movie serious. And that movie did not look serious. The costume for Spawn looked good. The makeup, the special effects makeup looked it good. Uh, the demon violator, okay, he looked at uh, it was okay uh, for that type of uh, era. It was okay. Now we look back at it and we it looks very cheesy. But this new film is just totally different in every aspect of it. It's so different. Uh, yeah, that's, you know way more about it than I do. And uh, of course, Stacy, you know who Kevin Smith is, correct? Yes. Yeah, he has come up with some crazy, insane, uh, comical horror movies over the past few years. So he's going to be developing a BBC America series that is going to focus on Sam and Twitch. These are the NYPD homicide detectives in the spawn in the spawn storyline so yeah he's got a he's attached to that so bbc america got some great programming for those who haven't checked it out you know they have orphan black one of my favorite uh series um sherlock uh, countless others so i am eager to see how kevin smith is gonna take this franchise um, of course, I had mentioned before that I'm not so keen about his films. It, it has a certain comedic element to it that I'm not, I, don't, I haven't hooked on to that yet. But for Sam and Twitch, hmm, it, that has to have a dark storyline because, yeah, it's just weird. It's one of the things you have to wait and see. Producer P.J. Stark's volumes of blood horror stories. You said a man in a mask. Have they made any arrests? No suspect is in custody, but it is very possible that this masked murderer is still on the loose. Earlier this week, I had the pleasure to interview producer, writer, editor PJ Starks. Starks' credits extend over six years, and in 2015, one film has gained popularity in the horror community. Volumes of Blood is an anthology film featuring the works from different film directors. You have Jacob's, Jacob Belinsky, Nathan Thomas Milliner, John Kenneth Muir, and Lee Ver Vaught. Uh, this anthology film really took off. Stacy, I do believe you have seen this film, correct? 
Uh, yes, I've seen Volumes of Blood, and I really liked it. It was a very different um, anthology. And I vaguely remember, but I do remember, I do remember uh, one scene where they were, they were in some kind of study or library or something like that. And I think they were preparing for something, right? And then the director, after like chewing their heads off, comes out and doesn't he, doesn't he get murdered or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I believe so. I have to watch the film again. Uh, it was yeah, it's, it's I vaguely remember, but I, it's like one of those scenes that's like, oh wow, that was awesome. Like, um, so yeah. Volumes of Blood horror stories released. Uh, so do check out our review. It's up on dkmag.com. In this second installment. Uh, to the Volumes of Blood trilogy. Yes, I did say trilogy. There's another part coming. It features the work of director Sean Belvins. He directs the segment Trick or Treat. John Williams Holt. He directs the segment Feeding Time. John Maynard. He directs Bloodbath. Nathan Thomas Milliner directs Murder Death Killer and Fear for Sinners Here. Justin M. Seaman directs the segment The Death Day Party. And finally, James Treacle directs the segment A Killer House. And in this interview, PJ Starks provides insight on volumes of blood and what's in store for the franchise. I did mention a trilogy, so stay tuned for his thoughts on volumes of blood. Uh, my name is Ken Artus, founder and editor for dkmag.com joining me this afternoon is producer for volumes of blood and volumes of blood horror stories mr pj starks thank you for joining me this afternoon hello thank you so much for having me thank you and um i'm gonna jump right in um volumes of blood looks to up the stakes with visuals in comparison to part one what were the shifts if any with the creative direction um, with, you know, with, with, the with the first film, it was, I mean, it was literally just a group of us being horror fans, um, wanting to get together and, uh, you know, make a horror film. Um, I mean, in, in, in essence, a lot of us were just friends, filmmaker friends who just wanted to kind of have an excuse to work together. Um, but when the, when it took off, uh, and it, and, and I mean, in, in all honesty, it got, uh, it got. A reaction that none of us anticipated, uh, and then we started talking seriously about doing a sequel. We kind of knew that the only reason to do a sequel was, you know, to do it um, bigger and to do it better. And obviously, through the visuals is one of the aspects of doing that. And uh, so, when we, you know, when we sat down and and started talking about, you know, how we were going to do some of the stories and the visuals and that kind of thing that a lot of that ultimately uh, came into play when, uh, when John Holt, um, who's also the, the director of the sequence feeding time came onto the project. So we had a lot of, um, you know, conversations with him as far as, you know, different ways of how we can do things um, from a visual standpoint, what types of different, you know, toys, we have access to in order to make, you know, some more cinematic movements and that kind of a thing. And the, and the film itself is just darker in tone. 
So we knew that we wanted to play with color a lot. And then, of course, when you have all these other directors on the project, you know, they, they had a lot of say-so in the visual style for how their uh, their sequences would be pulled off. But just going into the film, we knew that it, it had to look better than the last one. And uh, I would say, you know, I mean, it's still an independent film, but, but I think that it does, uh, for the scope and everything, I, I think it does outdo the predecessor in look. Yes, it does. And uh, one of the things that I'm curious about is how does one undertake an anthology? How does this production develop? And what techniques are different from a traditionally formatted film? Uh, well, um, it, it sounds like a great idea in the beginning. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, it's, anthologies are a completely different beast than a you know than a strictly straightforward single narrative feature um there because there's a lot more elements that go into it um you know one thing that did make it easier as far as the films are concerned is you know a majority of the film took place in the same location for the first film and the Mm -hmm. same you know same for the second film which was almost entirely in a house and i for one i think that's what helps set it aside from a lot of these other anthologies that you see a lot of their stories aren't interconnected or don't tie together through characters or storylines even though they are in essence separate uh, stories Um, but as far as from a production standpoint I mean there's there's just so much more that goes into it because I mean just for example the very first feature single narrative feature I ever did uh, had a main core cast of eight characters. And then, of course, you're dealing with one storyline, one director, and, and so on and so forth. Now you take volumes of blood horror stories, um, you've got six directors. You've got seven to eight single, or not single, but eight different narratives. Um, you, you, you have a core cast of upwards of 30 to 35 people. Um, that you're dealing with and then um, so plus and then every sequence has its own series of effects or own series of types of shots and looks and things so it's it's uh, I've always said that making these films are logistical nightmares and they are (laughs) but um, you know when you pull it off it's so much more satisfying I think um, than doing a single feature narrative because there is so much more that goes into it and uh, you, you, you get through it and it's, it's, they're fun to make, but they are more difficult to do. Right, right. And I, I have to admit, it, it is a lot of work to have everything coherent, visually, aesthetically, color, as you had mentioned. That is a huge undertaking. Oh, absolutely. And I've noticed that horror anthologies have become more popular in recent years. In your professional opinion, what is it about this type of theme that proves successful? Um, well, you know, it's, it, and, it, and it's kind of funny and ironic, too, because whenever I uh, first started doing Volumes of Blood, I mean, there was maybe a couple of uh of anthologies that were in the works or ones that i knew about but yeah ever since the first volumes of blood came out 
it's just there's just been this whirlwind of of interest in doing anthologies again, and they've really kind of jumped back up there. And I and I think I think they're popular with audiences because, um, you know, you're 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 only giving yourself over to stories, you know, in twelve to fifteen to twenty increments at a time. And I mean, let's face it, sh- attention spans are <laughs> are a lot shorter <laughs> nowadays. So yes, um, that's true. <laughs> So it, it it it's a lot it, in some it in some degree it takes less effort uh, with your attention span to sit and watch an anthology, um, but I think too is that you know it it ke- it can keep your interest because things are changing and evolving and and, and different you know every fifteen minutes or so. Um, the one the other thing too and 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 I'm not I'm not trying to bash people who have made anthology films, other anthologies, but I think depending on how you go about producing them, they're also extremely easy to do um, in the sense that if you're, wa- if you're wanting to sit down and just put an anthology film together, you can by getting on YouTube and finding short films that, um, that are really good and the hard work has already been done and then contacting those filmmakers and saying, "Hey, I'm making an anthology. Do you do you want your short film to be a part of it?" And then putting all, you know, four or five short films that have already been done and possibly even already been out there for several years and then putting them together and making a um making a a, a anthology film and and that seems to be um, almost unfortunately, seems to be the case in a lot of a lot of instances with these anthology films that come out. Um, so whenever whenever I sat down and conceived Volumes of Blood, that I wanted to get away from that because I wanted to do something that was um, more unique in the sense that you know it's it's kind of like life, you know. And and I guess you know you look at Facebook and you have this friend and you might. That, you know, share like a hundred mutual friends or something, but you've never, you know, you've never seen them together. And it's just fascinating to see how, how much we are all connected in a way, even though we may not necessarily impact each other's lives, at least not directly. So that was part of the genesis of, of coming up with Volumes of Blood was kind of saying, you know, let's, let's create this universe of all these different colorful characters. They all live in the same place. They all exist in the same time frame and in the same space. Um, and how would they be interconnected? And that's kind of how, that's why, that's where shooting in the same location kind of came from too. Um, I mean, yeah, it was given to us. We had the opportunity to shoot at the library. We had the opportunity to shoot in this insanely amazing old Victorian home. But at the same time, it's like, these are spaces that people coexist in constantly and um, just kind of showing how these stories and these characters impact each other without directly impacting one another. Right. Right. And uh, just to touch on that, I've seen some anthology films that is just a cornucopia of different uh, themes tossed right in. Uh, When you have a anthology film that everything's coherent everything follows one set theme there's a sense of appreciation like wow everything's interconnected just like how you had mentioned right and plus i think you know that it, it 
and that, you know, and that's one thing that people kind of touch on um, several times when they say that that's what that's what helps it stand out from all these other uh, independent anthologies that are being made is that while they are separate stories, um, there is this larger narrative happening um, overall with with the films, and there there is this larger arc that's happening with the films, and um, you know, thank, thanks. You know, part whenever I was coming up with that idea, and then sitting down and working with Eric uh, Huskison, who's my uh, my partner in crime at Blood Moon Pictures, and you know, we of course it's a collaborative effort, so we're all throwing around ideas and working with the writers and stuff like that. So there is that fear that, um, especially with me, because I'm <laughs> I'm really big on trying to interconnect things and stuff like that. So I would come up with an idea, yeah. and then eventually as we get closer, this fear starts kind of creeping up inside of me. And I'm asking, is this, is this going to end up being too convoluted for, for some people? But um, I would say that those, those fears got squashed because that doesn't seem to be the case. There are some people who have uh, been slightly confused and maybe have some questions, but, but overall, most people seem to get the films and, and understand it and follow it. So uh, that's, that, that, that's been really nice. That's great. And uh, the practical effects in Volumes of Blood are front and center. Uh, what is your position on this art form? And are we, with all the technical advancements, seeing a decline with this art form? Um, well, you know, practical effects, um, which I've been a fan of for, well, since forever. Um, I mean, I'm okay, I'm okay as far as CGI is concerned, but I think that. Um, the horror genre a lot of times tends to rely too heavily on CGI. Um, and it just, it, it just, it comes across looking as really cheap. Um, I, I prefer a practical effect because it, it looks more visceral. It looks tangible. It looks like it's a part of the scene. Um, so with uh, like volumes of blood and volumes of blood horror stories from day one, I said, look, we're, we're doing only practical effects. Now, granted there's, there is one CGI effect in the first film. Uh, I don't particularly care for it, uh, especially now looking back at it, but it kind of came out of a necessity at the time. Um, but going into horror stories, um, I said, you know, we're doing absolutely no CGI um, unless it's like something that's tiny, tiny, minute that people can't even pick up on. So there ended up being one small CGI uh, addition, but it's, added on to a practical effect and it's so tiny that you can't even tell it looks like it's all you know you use the word cohesive a lot and that, that's what it looks like it's very cohesive so it all matches and fits together um but yeah but like with volumes of blood horror stories we we had i think it was 26 on-screen kills yeah <laughs> and the rest of them were off screen and then we have various other uh you know like dead bodies here and there or some you know, bloody skulls or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, I'm huge. I'm a gore hound. I'm, I'm really big on, on really elaborate visceral death scenes and that kind of a thing. I mean, I like story too, but I think if you can kind of meld all that together, then you get a really nice horror mashup. So, so yeah, so going into the sequel, um, you know, there was just a ton of practical effects that we were going into and, and we ended up losing our initial special effects supervisor and then that's when cassandra baker came on 
to the project and she she had worked a little bit on the first film um so she kind of we, we shot the first sequence we lost our special effects supervisor so she got brought in after that so <laughs> we gave her like a laundry list of you know decapitations and just you know <laughs> hatchets in the forehead and just all these like but but it's not just basic like somebody gets chopped in the forehead it, you know it's almost like mousetrap or one thing kind of you know, kicks off another and then another and then then the kill happens. So, so of course there was a lot of sit down and talk and I'm and even she'll joke now that she looks back and she even said to herself like, what the hell am I getting myself into? <laughs> and uh, but I mean she pulled it off and she she brought some incredible talent to the to the project. I mean she 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 really did take the movie to the next level with the with you know, her knowledge and her abilities. And, uh, I, I honestly, I don't think the second one would, would be as good or as fun if it wasn't for what Cassandra brought to the project. So, um, a lot of, a lot of kudos go to her, you know, for, for, for taking it on and, and just knocking it out of the park. Great. Absolutely. Yeah. That's one of the defining factors for the sequels. I'm a big practical effects uh, person myself. I prefer that over CGI any day. So uh, big congrats, big kudos, as you had mentioned. Oh, thank you. And um, in volume, Volumes of Blood launched an Indiegogo campaign last year. And uh, fortunately, the campaign didn't reach its target goal. So how, is this, how was that experience reaching out for public funding? And would you consider this resource again? Um. Yeah, I mean, we we mainly kind of did that uh, just to you know there were some odd like odds and ends <coughs> that needed to be uh, nailed down as far as the uh, you know as far as the funding was concerned, we were able to fund the second film through um, product placement sponsorship participation. Uh -huh. That's great. Um, that's so great. that's how we were able to yeah I mean and, and it worked out amazingly and, and funny like it I mean if you watch the film it's 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 there's product placement scattered all over the place and, and some people pick up on it and it doesn't bother them. Other people are like, God, this is one giant commercial. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, ultimately it panned out, you know, we had to get the project paid for. And that was the other thing. It was like, if you're going to take things to the next level and do them bigger and better, I mean, you're going to have to have a little bit more capital to do that. And, and luckily these sponsors came on and they wholeheartedly supported what we were doing and they wanted to be a part of it. And they were local businesses or a few regional businesses. Um, so, so yeah, so it was, uh, as far as like Indiegogo, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a crapshoot. I mean, sometimes you get it and sometimes you don't, sometimes you true. make the amount that you wanted to get. Sometimes you walk away with just a little bit of something. Sometimes you don't get anything at all. So it really, it just kind of depends. I, I think it's something you should at least try your hand at. Um, but the, the, <clears throat> the big downside is with with crowdfunding is that if if unless you have something to where you won't you know to where you can maybe I, and some of these you know really I don't know <laughs> I don't know if some people end up having like a you know some kind of a PR firm behind them and that really helps get the product out there it's just you know you you know your film or your product hits at the right time um, and that's how you end up getting the money it's just I, you know, I don't, I don't know what the secret is to, uh, to crowdfunding. I'm producing, you know, it's funny cause you know, with volumes of blood horror stories, the buzz was out there. 
yes, you know, it at was. the point in which we tried to try to do that, dude's a little bit of extra crowdfunding, and it didn't pan out. Yeah. But like right now, I'm producing another film called Angel, and it's from the director who did The Wicked One, and uh, he he funded his film via crowdfunding, and it just ended the past couple of weeks. And uh, I mean, he hit his he actually hit over his goal, and uh, their their goal was about the same amount as what we were looking for. Um, and he hit his, but we didn't hit ours. And um, so really, I guess it just kind of depends on. Like anything, you know, who you know and how many people you have supporting and pushing. And, um, yeah, so it's like I said, it's it's definitely something you should try your hand at, but it's not always something you can depend on if that's the way you're going to go to try to get your project funded. Right, right. And that's that's the life for indie filmmakers. It's always a gamble. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's the downside. But <laughs> I'm glad Vanes of Blood did come out and everything did pull together. Thank that's you. that's the end result. And um, also, you have uh, input on another film also coming out soon. Uh, can you please provide some insight on the film Three Tears on Bloodstained Flesh? Uh, well, that uh, that was done by um, my friend Jacob Belinsky. Uh, he's uh, he actually he was one of the directors on the first film, and I was an associate producer on that. I was on set a few times, but I mean it's it's a, a modern giallo, and you know he he is a, he's an incredible talent. He's got a great eye, and I know this is a project that you know he's really put all of his heart and passion and stuff into. So I'm I'm really excited for him that he was able to you know get the movie out there because i know that you know there for there for a while he was a little concerned that maybe it was taking a bit too long for the film to come out but you know now it's got distribution and it's going to get a wider audience and uh you know it's 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 a mystery it's a thriller you know it's got you know a little bit of comedy in there but it's very visceral and it's very in your face and i think that you know if you're if you're a fan of of those types of throwbacks to the to the giallos of the 70s and the 80s and i think that you know and you love a good mystery you love slasher elements and, and it's just got a lot going for it so i think you'll really get into that so you should definitely you know take an opportunity and, and check it out yes yes and i believe the distribution is from us uh, through unearthed films i believe yep yes. yep yeah, watching the trailer, I enjoyed the visuals. And as you had mentioned, it's visceral. Uh, it's it's unique. It's definitely a throwback. Do you believe horror films such as this are a rarity in today's market? I'm sorry, say that last part again. Do you believe horror films such as this is a rarity in today's market? Um. Well, I'm. you mean from like a throwback standpoint or... The, or the uh, type of film that Jake, the t- type of film that Jacob made. What a type of film. Um, as far as like you know, a throwback to the to the you know like the Argentos and the Mario Bavas. Uh, you know, I I think yes, they are a rarity. Um, I think some people try to do it, and they they fall short a lot of the time because those those films are they're not just you know a thriller or a suspense film, but they have a very stylistic way of going about the execution. So I think you you have to have someone that's in that mindset that has that stylistic eye, um, especially for like 
the types of color palettes that they used and that sort of thing. So um, Jacob is definitely one of those because, I mean, any any project of his that I've ever been a part of or worked on, you know, like Bloody Hooker Bang Bang or um, even his segment uh, 13 After Midnight in the first volumes of Blood, it has a very specific type of color palette to it. You know, he uses uh, it, it's it's very kind of flat in the beginning, but then when things shift into more of a horror, uh, from a horror stance, I mean, it, you know, there's lots of like harsh blues and grays and reds, and there's just this whole color scheme that he used that really, that really almost creates this whole otherworldly type of experience. And I mean, that's what he does. That's how he's always done his projects. And I mean, he's really successful at it. So, so I think, um, you know, are they a rarity? Yes. And I think the good ones are even fewer and far in between. So I definitely think that, you know, people should check his film out, um, which I believe it comes out on the 8th is when it releases. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely one that I think is worth checking out. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm keeping my eye out for that one. And, uh, Yes, so the platform is open, uh, Mr. Starks, for if you care to share more information of Volumes of Blood, the release, and social networking, platform is open. Uh, well, the, the, the easiest way to get in touch with me, if you're interested, is uh, through Facebook, and then also uh, with Volumes of Blood, uh, we've got our Facebook page, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, that's where you can find out about all the updates, and uh, we just recently... Um, unveiled that we're working on a Volumes of Blood 3 that we're going to be going into pre-production on in October, and it's called Devil's Night, Volumes of Blood 3, and it kind of, it's, it's just <laughs> like the other two films, it's going to be its own standalone feature, but also it will uh, it will kind of finish out some of these continuing story arcs and things that you find in the other two films. And then uh, there's a, another film that I worked on called Butcher the Bakers from Tyler Am that's going to be coming out in October through Petrie Entertainment, same company that released Volumes of Blood. But uh, that's – and then Volumes of Blood Horror Stories uh, is going to be coming out on – it's August 1st is when the DVD and Blu-ray released. It's also going to be on video on demand through uh, Amazon, Google Play, VHX, Vudu. Uh, Dish Network. It'll be on Dish Network, so people should definitely check it out. If you if you like anthologies, if you if you if you like gore, if you like some comedy, if you like suspense, and just I mean it it. Volumes of Blood Horror Stories literally has something for everyone, you know. And 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 if you have a short attention span, that you're definitely going <laughs> to Volumes of Blood Horror Stories. So, so you should definitely, I th- you know, it's. It's one of those movies that, you know, I've said this a million times. It's we are we are literally just horror fans trying to make horror films for horror fans, and that's what these films are. And I think that's why, um, you know, they they've resonated so well with the horror community because you know most <laughs> horror fans that watch these films they they see the passion and the love for the genre, and that really shows through the final product. And that's that's why they're able to uh, you know really get into these films. So that's. So you should definitely check it out. Yes, yes, I, I I agree wholeheartedly with that. It's it's that passion from a filmmaker's perspective, that love for the genre that really propels these films forward. 
as opposed to, you know, when you have executives and they want to put their dollars and cents, it changes the scope right. entirely. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Um, thank you. So, oh, wow. Since you mentioned Volumes of Blood 3, oh, wow. I, ca I cannot imagine the visuals for that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, we, we've already sat down. We've had uh, some talks. Andy Palmer and Warner Davis, the guys who, uh, who uh, are behind, like, the Funhouse Massacre, and most recently uh, Camp Coldbrook. They're shooting it right now. It's uh, produced by Joe Dante. They're coming on board because they, uh, they're, they're the ones who are releasing Volumes of Blood Horror Stories through their genre arm called Dark Cuts. And, uh, and, but they, they themselves have become fans of what we're doing and, and they're really great guys and they want to become a part of it. So we've had some sit downs with them and talked about, you know, once again, ways on how we can up the ante and do things, you know, more visceral and elaborate death scenes, maybe bring in a few uh, name actors or directors and, and of course really up the equipment to kind of show what we're capable of doing. And then really kind of, kind of bringing the, uh, bringing the franchise to a close that it, that it really deserves. Yes, yes. It's it's sort of like a, a a rise and evolution. You had part one. You you guys did a certain thing. Part two, and now part three. So it's just just rising and evolving. This is is it's cool concept. <laughs> Thank you. That's that's you know we're hoping that that's that you know that's that people pick up on that and that it does kind of show the evolution of of what we're trying to do. And then the other thing is we have uh um. Be, because of this universe that has been created, we we have uh, some ideas for spinoff films, utilizing certain killers or characters from the film franchise. That so that way we'll we'll end up doing single narrative films, but then ultimately um, they'll still be directly linked to the volumes of blood universe. I mean, there's 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 all kinds of stuff we got in the works. We have a tabletop card game that's actually going to be uh, that's going to be coming out not too too far from now uh mythmaker games we uh licensed the uh we licensed the franchise to them and they created this tabletop card game they're, they're doing a, they're doing a kickstarter ironically on uh august 11th and i personally am not a big fan of tabletop card games however um i did go play this when they had kind of the trial run version and it was a lot of fun because it pits people against one another using scenes and characters and kills and weapons and everything from the volumes of blood films. And then of course, because we have the third one coming out, there's potential for expansion packs later on. Mm. And, uh, and you essentially take on the role of a director and you are creating a scene using all these elements from the films and you have to wrap your scene and then try to accumulate the largest body count. And then of course there's all these, other elements mixed in and you're you're essentially screwing over your your opponents and stopping them from wrapping their scenes and having the largest body count so it's 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 a lot of fun um one of the actresses who played the game came up to me afterwards and said uh this is the kind of game that will create or turn friends and enemies right <laughs> and, and that's when i was like cool we got a winner then so <laughs> exactly yeah and, and, and it also puts you know, players take them away from the consoles and takes them back to the old school card games because that's something that was uh, absolutely kids grew up with back in the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Well, thank you so much for your time and for answering all these questions. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, Best of luck with with the sequels and for your upcoming projects. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Exclusive interview. Big Timothy, director, co-writer, the Monster Project. Should we at least get the shot? Maybe the channel's blowing up. What if we turn this into a show? We go out looking for real monsters. Monster Project. Bang bang. We all love a good horror story. We got another response to the casting notice, and she's a vampire. We like to pretend that monsters are real. The Monster Project. Scene one, take one. Check out our upcoming film review for The Monster Project. This is an upcoming found footage film that will release on August 18th on Video On Demand. In anticipation for the release, I had the pleasure to interview the Monster Project's director and co-writer, Victor Mathiel. Mathiel makes his directorial film debut with The Monster Project. Stacy, you've seen the trailer. Uh, weigh in your opinion on this film. I know you enjoy those found footage concepts as much as I do. <laughs> well, um... <laughs> Well, I wouldn't take it that far, but uh, yes, the trailer for The Monster Project, I really liked it, intrigued me. Um, there looks to be so much suspense and action in it. And from the trailer, it seems to have, you know, like a storyline and approach that you don't see in a lot of found footage films. So um, I'm hoping, like, I can't wait to watch this movie, and I'm hoping that it steers clear from, you know, what what we've been seeing in found footage for so long. Absolutely, I agree. And um, I have yet to watch the film, which uh, the review will be coming up soon. And, you know, I found footage films to me uh, you know my opinion about those. I'm not even going to reiterate my opinion. But the good ones are very few and far between. So when I saw the trailer, and I, it was a joke during the interview because Mr. Uh, Mathau, he hinted that you watch the trailer and those scenes are not reserved for the last part of Act 3 which usually happens in found footage films. And I was, I found that to be funny because all found footage films follow the same concept, right? Yes, definitely. Um, the first, what, 30 to 40 minutes of it is just a bunch of randomness, you know, either just people talking or people just like walking aimlessly through the woods or something. Then the last, 10 or so minutes come and that's it <laughs> it's like a wham bam thank you ma'am you know <laughs> <laughs> wham bam thank you ma'am <laughs> wow wow that's that sounds like somebody's uh uh evening right there <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a uh, what 
was that? I think it's a show or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's true. It's true. All these found footage films follow the same template. So I found it funny that Mr. Matthau in his interview, he mentioned that. So I'm going to review this movie with a certain approach that I'm expecting something that is going to be extremely different from the templates of found footage films. So I'm reserving my distaste for the genre just to see. But the trailer, if you look at the trailer, you see visual effects, you see uh, makeup effects, uh, you see some good stunt work, you know, because in one point you see the creature just jumping up or, or levitating up or that's the uh, victim, I believe. So there's something going on in this film production-wise that is going to be totally different. Yes, and when you see like the clips of the what, the monsters or whatever they are, uh, just you can tell it's going to be so many like jump scare scenes in it. So this, hopefully, you know, based on this trailer, this might be a, one of those found footage that actually scares you or let's say you know make you jump right and i enjoy the concept as a matter of fact i did mention that you see the concept to the film has these filmmakers putting out a ad to interview real monsters and that concept actually did happen because there was a an author of a few years back for his book about vampires, he put out an ad to interview real vampires. And yeah, he did get responses from real vampires and uh, the book was published. So this is somewhat of a true to life concept right there. And without further ado, here is my interview with Mr. Victor Mathau who he'll be discussing the Monster Project. My name is Ken Artus, founder and editor for DK Mag, and joining me this afternoon is writer, producer, director, Victor Matthew. Thank you for your time this afternoon. Uh, we're going to be discussing your upcoming project, the Monster Project. Thank you for having me. And for the first question I have, the Monster Project has an interesting premise. It implies that monsters walk among us. What is your opinion on this idea? I've always been a skeptic. So, uh, so I don't particularly believe in that, sort of, uh, in that sort of stuff. But you never know at the same time. So, uh, so I kind of like to toy with the idea that maybe monsters do exist. And I think that it's quite entertaining for the mind to kind of uh, think of it that way. Uh, I've always, you know, grown up reading the Goosebumps, uh, Arl Stein books, and uh, and reading horror stories. So I've always, you know, toyed with the idea that maybe, you know, it's part of the fun uh, with horror uh, is, you know, maybe, you know, in sci-fi, maybe that, you know, monsters do exist. Um, and I think that, you know, the human monster is, is for sure, you know, something that does exist. Uh, that's what monsters, you know, monsters are a metaphor for the, the dangers of the human mind. And, uh, and so that's what I find interesting. And so in the film, we kind of, you know, went more of the uh, traditional uh, monsters route and, uh, and, uh, and tried to do something fun and scary with it. Yes. And then in my initial coverage for the Monster Project, I mentioned that 
an author. His name is Martin V. Ricardo. He actually did a similar uh, tactic that is presented in the film. And he put out an ad and he interviewed supposedly real vampires. Is that right? Very interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's the route that we, we took with it, exactly. We did quite a lot of research, actually, uh, in regards to, you know, the uh, when you watch the film, you'll see that we actually have quite a bit of research and backing about, you know, the Skinwalker uh, uh, facts and lore, same thing with vampires. I kind of, uh, I don't reinvent the vampire lore, but I kind of, you know, take my own small, like, you know, slight twist with it. And uh, as for the demon, uh, that one we don't dive into as much because everybody <laughs> knows how demons work. But uh, but the uh, for the Skinwalker, it's it's uh, you know I don't think it's been tackled that much in movies. So we really went uh, you know deep into it and kind of tried to make sure that people understood what a Skinwalker is and uh, you know what one needs to, to achieve in order to become a Skinwalker. Right. Yeah. That's that's one of the. The, the visuals that really caught my attention, the Skinwalker, as you had mentioned, not many films touch on that folklore. So it was, it was very nice to see uh, that, that monster being touched upon. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, we're really excited to see what people's feedback is. Um, I've always wanted to make werewolf uh, a werewolf film, and I thought that was a, you know kind of a cool way to uh to begin doing so uh was to to go you know the uh skinwalker route and uh and we're quite proud and happy with with the way that he turned out he's quite a creature right and uh, based on your imdb you have many credits in film production yet the monster project looks to be your first feature film debut can you describe this experience yes so i started out assistant directing uh, as soon as I graduated from uh, film school here at, uh, at USC, and so uh, I I I, uh, I was I assistant directed for a bunch of uh, feature films, commercials, even live live interactive shows uh, like Delusion, which is a really cool live interactive play um, created by John Braver, and um, uh, so I had a lot of training, and and you know I got exposed to the world of stunts at a quite early age. And I fell in love with stunts, and I've always been a big fan of practical special effects. So those are the two kind of elements of cinema that I really particularly enjoy, uh, especially in uh, when you're creating a world. Um, so in the Monster Project, that's basically what I did. I kind of used heavy special effects. I uh, combined stunts into the mix and created kind of my ideal mashup of, of uh, horror and monsters into a feature film. But uh, I, I use, you know, yeah, I evolved from assistant directing into directing once I finally felt that it was the time for me to, uh, and that I felt ready enough to uh, direct a feature film. Right. And please share some of your insight on the creative decision in making the Monster Project as a found footage film, as opposed to a t traditional narrative. Sure. Most people would say that I probably did it for financial reasons. Uh, that's actually not the case that I, I thought when, when the idea came to my mind, I immediately thought of it as found footage. I'm just a fan of, of found footage and, and, and I don't, I think that the monster project is more of a first person perspective film. I think that found footage is kind of different in the film. Uh, it's, it's kind of a combination of, 
of found footage and Call of Duty, if you understand what I'm saying. It's, yes, uh, there's, yes. The main character is wearing a GoPro on his forehead, so a lot of the action is through his eyes as if you are living and breathing as him. So it's, it involves you even more than just someone holding a camera. So uh, I found that quite, quite fun to kind of, uh, I guess, similar to Hardcore Henry, although I wrote the script way before Hardcore Henry. It just took us a long time to make it happen. So uh, I, just, I just really love uh, that style. I'm a huge video game fan, and, uh, um, you know, I love uh, role-playing games, especially when, when, they're, you know, when they involve horror. So uh, that's, that's, that's why I decided to, to make it that way. Uh, very interesting. Yes, and I've seen the, the, the two different styles, the visual styles from a first-person perspective and a found footage film. And uh, yeah, you mentioned Hardcore Henry and the video game uh, platform. That seems to be more an interesting concept. And you mentioned stunt work. The actors portraying the creatures are stunt performers as well. What is the design for this casting method? Uh, so like I mentioned, I worked for this show called Delusion and while working on that show, I've, I've discovered such amazing actors that, uh, one of the main amazing things about that, you know, uh, the, the fact that I worked on that show, I discovered lots of really good actors. <clears throat> and so, uh, it's a show that trains actors, uh, into doing stunts depending on the role they're doing. And so I, I had met Steven Flores at the time who plays the skinwalker <clears throat> and, um, he was just a phenomenal stuntman, and we knew always that the Skinwalker was going to involve quite a few stunts. And so, uh, and so I cast him, four, I think four years before we started, or three and a half, four years before we started filming. Uh, it, it's quite, you know, I had some actors that were on board quite a while before we actually started filming. Uh, same thing with Shuri. Shuri actually was not, I mean, she had done stunts. I worked with her while she was doing stunts. She plays the, uh, the demon, by the way, uh, or Shuri in the film. She had done stunts in the past, but she was also a really terrifying actress. She was really good at scaring me. So yeah, I don't think anyone had really scared me the way she did uh, in person before. So, uh, and then Muriel Zucker, who plays um, uh, who plays Muriel, she was also a very, she jumped on board very early. Uh, she did not the same thing. She's not a stunt actress, but she's a phenomenal actress. So, and, uh, and a good friend of mine. So I uh, brought her on board. And then I found Jamal, Jamal Quizair uh, by auditioning him. The rest, most of the rest, I would say, uh, were found through our casting agency or, or got brought on towards uh, closer towards filming. Mm. Uh, so by having the stunt performers as the creatures, would you say that the, this horror film in general or specifically this project is more physically intense? Absolutely. I'd say this film is really, really physically intense. Uh, the second half of the film is nonstop. So a lot of people are saying online, ah, the, you know, the action you see in the, in the trailer, that's probably the, uh, the last, you know, towards, <laughs> that happens probably towards the end of the third act. That's not the case at all. <laughs> it's not the case at all. The, once, once the action hits in the film, it's nonstop until the very end. So you can, that's one thing I promise is that once there's, there's plenty of action to be seen in the monster project. I want to do the opposite of what the found footage films were doing back when Paramount Activity got out, which I'm a huge fan, so I'm not, I'm not bashing on, on that type of film or on those films. I'm a huge fan of the Paramount Activity franchise. But I just felt that, that there was a while after where it, it was just same, the same formula was, was re repeating itself 
with, uh, within the uh, the found footage style of filmmaking. And so I thought I'd, I would do the very opposite instead of just seeing certain doors open and close and shadows crossing frames and certain sound effects scare you every once in a while. I thought I'd do the opposite and introduce a lot of action into the mix and just uh, entertain people and and show some monsters, show show some show some creatures instead of always keeping them for the last minute of the, of the film. Instead, let's do the opposite. Let's, let's show them from the get-go and, and have some fun with it. Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, I haven't watched the film. I have the screener. I, I ha I'm going to watch it and review it closer to the release date. So um, cool. getting your feedback on how the film is, that was my initial thought when I first watched the trailer. Oh, this is the last few frames. This is what we're watching in the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> nope, that is not the case. That's good to hear. Um, the synopsis really caught my attention. It offers a little hint on the plot. So you have a phrase saying, a recovering drug addict. So I'm getting the impression this whole thing is an elaborate hoax. Do you want me to comment on that? <laughs> Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I think that's, I think that's an interesting concept and I'm not going to say yes or no. It's up to your interpretation. I would hate to ruin the fun of, of the mysterious uh, ending. I will say that, that there is a twist ending uh, in the film. So if you pay close attention, you might just catch what it is. Mm, I, I, I'm expecting it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. The horror project, um, received um, over $20,000 in the Kickstarter campaign. So how was the experience of a lot of indie filmmakers approach crowdfunding for uh, Source? How was this experience? The experience was tough. Uh, I was 22 or 23 at the time, me and Philip Siebel, uh, very, one of my best friends, who's a producer, director of photography, and editor on the film. We, uh, just him and I, we, we started the film from scratch. We didn't really have the help of anybody except for uh, our co-writer, Shariah Lin and, and Jim Beinke, uh, who did the special effects. He's an ama amazing special effects artist, by the way. But we started out, it was just Phil and I, um, and uh, Shariah and, and Brian Jensen. And so we, uh, Phil and I, led this campaign for Kickstarter. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's every day for, for 60 days or however long we did it for constantly posting uh, and reaching out to people and pleading for financial help so you can make your first movie. It was a lot of work. And uh, the movie was going to cost a lot less uh, originally. And I think that some of my Kickstarter backers got quite frustrated because they had to wait a long time for the movie to, to see the movie come to life. Um, so, but I think the Kickstarter campaign after 60 days, you know, was over and we, we got the finance, the financing that we needed and it was successful. Uh, but it was, it was a lot of work. It was definitely a lot of work. Mm. Yeah. Considering the fact that I had no backing or followers because it was my first film. So we literally started from scratch. Like most wow. people do on Kickstarter though. Right, right. Um, you know, this is a, a, a topic that I'm, I'm always asking indie filmmakers because some projects make the goal, other projects don't make the goal. So it's it's a 50-50. And according to the Kickstarter campaign, the film was going to release Halloween 2013, and the filming didn't begin until April 2015. What were some of the issues in the <laughs> filmmaking process? So in terms of uh, raising, you know, the reason why we didn't film for two years after what we originally had planned is just strictly to, to the fact that we uh, we realized after writing the script that 
it was the film was going to cost more money uh, due to all the stunts that were involved in the in the script and uh, all the post production that was going to be required to to complete the film. So we uh, we just wanted to make sure that we were going to do it right. At first, we also the circumstances changed. Originally, we had a location and we had the actors available for 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 free per se uh, or for really cheap, and then and then things changed and we had to adapt and we had the, the budget had to increase. So, uh, so then we pushed, we pushed the film until we felt that we had enough money to, to start filming it. And then in terms of filming it, uh, the, the challenges were just filming it, uh, completing the film in time. Uh, we shot it in 15 days, which was extremely quick. Uh, especially when you're looking at all the special effects and stunts that are involved in the film and uh, et cetera. So it was very quick and challenging. Uh, and that was just, that was just, what I had to work with, and then we did uh, we did do some uh, quick reshoots. Uh, I think three months after the the principal shooting. But uh, yeah, I think I think I think the timing that we had uh, the amount of time that we had was a challenge while filming the monster project. Uh, and post production, in terms of post production, the challenges were creating all the sound effects and the sound design for for the monsters and for the world that we created, as well as the visual effects, because there's quite quite a lot of uh, the sound design. We we all the monsters were practical effects, but we did have to create some visual effects uh, during post production to enhance certain uh, certain parts of the film, especially when it comes to our our demon. Mm. And in terms of the special effects, the the practical effects rather, this is a different approach from traditional found footage concepts that heavily rely on computer generated. So how important was it to put these practical effects in the forefront of the film. It was extremely important. That was uh, the whole goal from the get-go was to go the practical effects route. And uh, my good friend Jim Bikey, who is just mind-blowingly talented and and uh, such a hard worker and uh, amazing, came on board. And he was the reason I think why the Monster Project uh, started taking off when we uh, started the right after the Kickstarter campaign. Uh, him coming on board, and he, he's he's worked for Planet of the Apes and uh, the Craft, and a lot of really cool movies that all of us horror horror fans love. Uh, so so we spent I think about a year and a half planning out, and or Jim spent uh, about a year and a half or two, uh, you know, coming up with designs for the monsters and preparing them, etc. So it was a lot of a lot of preparation, but it was always our intent to. Uh, go the classical route and like I said though we did have to introduce some visual effects into the mix due to the nature that we shot so fast that we had certain elements to fix or certain elements also to uh, to create the visual effects but uh, yeah uh, thank you and um, I'll close it out with an open platform so you could please share any information on the monster project the release date social networking etc uh, the Monster Project comes out in limited theaters and on uh, VOD as well on the same date. And uh, you can follow our social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TMP Movie. And you can also play our viral campaign, which is something we actually didn't talk about. We have a viral campaign for the film at mindgames.xyz. It's M-I-N-D-G-G-G-A-M-E-S dot X-Y-Z. That we created for the film. It's actually really fun uh, to play if you're into pulling your hairs out, trying to find ways to, to move along the uh, uh, the cryptic um, and difficult 
uh, uh, game. So uh, I'd strongly encourage for any horror fans to play that uh, viral campaign that we created for the Monster Project at MindGames.xyz. Great. And thank you so much uh, for your time this afternoon. And best of luck on the release of the Monster Project and of your future projects, whatever you have uh, in the works. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time, and, uh, and I hope you guys enjoy the film. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, uh, based on your information that you have provided. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, make sure you put it as a movie to watch uh, before Halloween and then to rewatch on Halloween. <laughs> right. <laughs>
from his wife's death. He is plagued with unfortunate events and visions of a supernatural presence. He can't, he can't determine what's real and what's fantasy. Ken, have you watched the trailer to Domicile and what did you think about it? Well, for one, I have to give my, uh, my opinion on whoever cut the trailer. They did a terrible job cutting that trailer. There were so many abrupt cuts in that footage that it seemed like they got uh, amateur to cut this footage up. I mean, come on, really. Their job is to project the film in a scary way, a suspenseful, suspenseful way. And all I see is some random cuts thrown together. So that trailer did not do justice for the film. Uh, for the film itself, uh, the camera work, I enjoyed the camera work, especially when the opening scene where you see the guy, he's sitting in a chair, and all of a sudden the camera cuts and you see the entity sitting in the opposite side of the room. That, I was, I was not expecting that. That was creepy. So yeah, the, the cinematography looks good. The acting, kind of sketchy. It does resemble B-movie quality. Did you get those type of vibes? Yes, I did. Now, for the makeup design for this entity, uh, it looks creepy. It looks creepy. Um, the, the special effects were limited in the trailer. I think there was a bathroom scene where you see the entity in the mirror. So let's see how the rest of the film, so I can't weigh my opinion on the CGI, but for the makeup effects, yeah, the, the entity looks, looks creepy, looks creepy. Um, yeah, that's my opinion on that. I agree. Um, there were actually some quite some suspenseful uh, scenes in the trailer, so I guess that's why I'm excited for it. Exactly. So it's going to have to wait and see how this film unfolds. There are so many ways that I see this film going. I think it may be, since the guy is returning to his mistress, I think it may be a guilt trip that everything is playing out in his head. And he's the one that's actually committing all the um, actions. Or it could be that uh, there is some, some type of supernatural presence. So let's see. Let's see. It's, a, it's one of those supernatural psychological mishmash uh, into the narrative. Yes, I agree. And actually, um, when looking at the chart, I'm like, wow, well, I felt like a whole battle between what's real and what's, you know, dream or fantasy or whatever. So, well, <laughs> so yeah, definitely very psychological there. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, we should be getting a our you know, review for the Domicile out soon. Uh, yeah, so we'll be weighing a more deep in in depth opinion on the film when when our film review is published. Uh, but so far, yeah, it, it, my interest is is open. I want to see how this the narrative develops, and uh, I want to see if it's really this guy that has 
a guilty conscience and he's just messing with his head big time. Or you know what another? I think I think he killed his wife. I think he pushed his wife down the stairs and that's why she's haunting him. Or, or that's why he has a guilty conscience. Hmm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and actually like when I when I first uh because I, I watched the trailer before I read the synopsis and I'm thinking like, oh, okay, so it's a, you know, it's his wife. And then I'm like, wait a minute, mistress. I'm like, okay, <laughs> well, someone is definitely gonna, gonna be haunted. Exactly. And uh, yeah, so here for all the male listeners out there, if you think you're going to be cheating on your wife and your wife passes away, she's going to be haunting your ass. So think twice about that. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Del Ply director, Sean Hart. Would you like to go to the Thriller Night dance with me? I'm going with someone else. Sorry. Del Playa is an upcoming slasher film scheduled to release later this year, 2017. The film is directed and written by Sean Hart, and the synopsis reads as follows. Struggling with the horrific past, Claire Rhodes must confront a stalker turned murderer of her youth in order to win her life. But will her own demons help the killer extract his vengeance? Now, here is an interesting point for this film, Del Playa. I remember when this film first went into production that there was a whole big controversy especially with the title and the location for the film because the playa happens to also be the name of Isla Vista California near the campus of University of California Santa Barbara where Elliot Rogers fatally stabbed and shot six students and injured 14 during a murder spree across Isla Vista and he did this and after he committed this atrocity he committed suicide so the film Del Playa it just mirrors this type of this headline grabbing incident and there was even a petition on change.org people wanted people were protesting a this film to change the title and or the film from being released because the narrative of the film mirrored what actually happened in real life so here we are we have del playa the title is not changed and the film is going to be released in saying that watching the trailer you do see some elements that 
tie into what could actually have happened in this real life incident you have the killer who is a a kid tormented looks like he has a broken home and also he's being teased at school so of course his mental capacity is, is just hell-bent on vengeance and he takes that aggression on a girl that he finds attractive at school um stacy what is your opinion on this trailer and seeing that it actually something like this actually happened what is your opinion on that you know it took me two watches for that trailer because at first i didn't know what the heck was going on and when i watched it again it was it was it was very interesting now this is the one where a young like young boy wasn't he wasn't he being like bullied or something like that and then he turned out to become a killer right um the real life incident it happened uh what 2015 i'm thinking somewhere along there so i don't know the full details of that incident but i do remember there was a whole big controversy with the film hmm. yeah i'm just curious uh, starting with the horror class yeah because um yeah i remember there was a young boy who was being bullied and then like a little further in the trailer he became this ma uh, this masked killer and and i and i found that just very interesting it was very suspenseful and i'm like i really want to watch this movie right i think it's one of the movies that you probably have to watch in order to understand it because the trailer itself was it's just a, a little confusing right i get what you're saying yeah and uh for me when i watched the trailer i got that the kid they were showing a lot of clips on what made this antagonist uh venge vengeful against the bullies against his parents and i'm not quite sure why he's taking his aggression on the girl though because it looks like he is hunting her down and it's not her fault that you know someone else you know uh, caught her attention so i guess the character feels that he's been rejected by her and he just wants revenge it's yeah it's interesting i i, I agree i want to see the film to get the whole gist of of the characters and their development i definitely agree but stay tuned because Del Playa is coming out later this year. And uh, yeah, I consider this to be a slasher film, but with deep psychological overtones. Yes, and th that's one of the things that was so fascinating about it. I love slashers. And um, yeah, but when I was watching, I was like, okay, what the heck is going on here? I'm like, okay so did he die and just like or like in the trailer did he die or was he just like coming back as a killer because of like being bullied and everything was past and all that 
in the trailer yeah no in the trailer it appears that he just got uh, his mind snapped and yeah i'm not sure if it's his dad that beat him up or the bullies because it, the cuts were too random in the trailer so i don't know if it's his dad that did it stepdad or whoever that dude was or the bullies at school but he just snapped and he just went on the rampage yes uh yes okay the trailer was very choppy now that you mention it maybe that's why it was kind of hard for me to really grasp it i just saw like everything that was going on kind of earlier um on and then he finally like having a mental breakdown and turning into this like psychotic killer you know so right and uh yeah uh, let's see I'm, I'm interested in seeing how the characters develop that's that's my interest for this film It's not the kill scenes or whatever i want to see how the characters develop in this film death wish director eli roth sway in the morning say four five we gotta talk about what's happening in chicago everybody's watching this viral video this guy in the hoodie they're calling the grim reaper he stopped the carjacking is he right for taking the law into his own hands? He's become a folk hero. What about the shooter? You look like a white dude. I love my family. But when they needed me most. 911, what is your emergency? There's men, they're breaking into my house. I think they're here. <gasps> no. This next trailer is not horror per se and is not thriller. It is an action crime drama, but it's directed from Eli Roth. As we all know, Eli Roth is a very popular, uh, and his name is synonymous in the horror community. He serves as director, and writers to Death Wish are Joe Carnahan and Brian Garfield. Now, Death Wish, the synopsis reads as follows. A mild-mannered father is transferred into a killing machine after his family is torn apart by a violent act. Here is the one of the shining things for this film. Bruce Willis stars in Death Wish as well as Vincent de Onfrio. Oh my gosh, I, I just butchered that last name. Elizabeth Shue also stars in this film as do Mike Epps. So we have a star-studded cast. This remake for Death Wish. Stacy, you have you seen the original Death Wish? No, I haven't. I mean, the original Death Wish starred Charles Bronson and it was set in an against the New York City backdrop. New York City served as the setting. And the synopsis for that film was a New York City architect becomes a one-man vigilante squad after his wife is murdered by street punks in which he randomly goes out and kills would-be muggers on the mean streets after dark. Now, what made Death Wish, the original film, so... It connected well with audiences because at the time, this was a time that crime was rampant. In New York City and I remember growing up uh, New York City it was just 
instead of Mickey Mouse being on Times Square, all you see was pimps and hoes. And that's no joke. Times Square was <laughs> terrible, dirty. I mean, this is the capital of the world and you see pimps and hoes on the street. Porn everywhere, uh, you name it, muggings, it was bad. Now you have Mickey Mouse and Superman trying to hold you <laughs> up, you know, you know, times have changed. So Th Death Wish, the original film, connected with audiences and then it spawned a series of films afterwards. So Stacy, before I give my opinion, since you haven't seen the film, what is your opinion on this trade at Death Wish? It looks like it's um, action-packed, honestly. Um, that's all I can really say about it. It looks really good, and I need to go back and watch uh, the first Death Wish. Or is this is this is a remake to Death Wish, right? It's the remake. Yeah, the remake. Okay, yeah, I need to go back and watch the original. Um, but the trailer definitely looks good, and I love Bruce Willis. So. Yeah, Bruce Willis. I don't know, but in this film, I, as I mentioned, the first Death Wish connected with audiences because during that time there was a lot of crime. Now, things have changed. New York City crime level is stable. Now we have a lot of concern with terrorists and also we have a concern with Big Brother. You know, cameras on every corner, watching your move. That's a concern. The concern is not, you know, what's projected in this film. So I'm watching this trailer. I'm like, okay, it's not connecting. It's just, it feels empty in my opinion. It just looks like an average action film. So Stacy, what is your opinion? Eli Roth directing this film. The last film he directed was The Green Inferno. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's definitely a different movie. I will uh, give it that. Um, I don't know, I guess, I guess I'm not, I'm used to Eli Roth directing more horror weird movies, you know? Um, I mean, when you look over his filmography, you got Hostel, Cabin Fever, you know, Grindhouse films. So, so, um, so yeah, so Death Wish is definitely a different movie for him. Right. But you didn't really, you didn't even like um, Green Inferno, did you? No, hell no. That was garbage. <laughs> I felt like I was watching a Disney version of Cannibal Holocaust. And that's saying a lot. You see, there was no eye-gripping moments in that film. But, 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 knock, knock with uh that starred keanu reeves that was a good home invasion film i mean it wasn't great wasn't fantastic wasn't bad it was just a good film it had a good you know the way the narrative developed it was satisfying 
and uh, Death Wish, as I said, it just it just feels empty. It doesn't have that. Oh shit, yo, something's going on here. All right, yeah, okay. Hmm, yeah, this this just feels empty. So, uh, but what, so what do you think? Uh, he would. How do you think he would do with Death Wish? Um, knowing what he's pretty much known for or have you seen because I haven't even seen every movie directed by uh, Eli Roth well I I appreciate many of his films um, of course Hostel was one was one film that was uh, genre defining uh, because of the violent content uh, Cabin Fever of course that was also genre defining uh, then you haven't seen him direct anything. He just disappeared and he just focused on producing. And he did a TV uh, reality show as well, which many may not uh, remember. He did a reality show on which he was one of the judges. And the contestants were aspiring filmmakers. And that show did not last. But um, Knock Knock definitely shined over the green inferno him jumping into an action film death wish uh let's see let's see how that's gonna work out i don't know i i really don't know i feel that the trailer was empty maybe watching a film it'll give a different opinion but so far it's and it's because the film doesn't resonate with our current situation every film in horror has to have a social commentary i'm not so sure with action because i'm not so much of a big action guy but you have to have something there in the script that ties with the people with the audience yes i definitely agree so you think judging by the trailer you think this is gonna look good being that you haven't seen part one so you you're providing an opinion with fresh perspective yeah, it, it definitely looks like just action-packed is definitely what it looks like. So, um, it looks like a movie that's right up Bruce Willis's alley. But, um, again, Eli Roth is different, <laughs> so I guess we'll see how that one goes. Right, right. And for some reason, when I'm watching this trailer for Death Wish, the first thing that comes to my mind, watching all the gunfights and everything, this looks like Die Hard. If you ever seen, I haven't Die seen Die Hard either. What? <laughs> Where you? What? No. I know. Are you serious? <laughs> yes, I haven't seen. Come Die on, there's been like eight parts or something like that. Come on, that Die Hard. Come on. Well, I'm exaggerating. Not really eight parts, but there's been a few. <laughs> there's been a few in the franchise. So he even had his son. Uh, the main character has his son help him in 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 the last. Uh, I think it was called Die Harder or something like that. Come on, you, you know what? You haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't seen it yet. But Bruce Willis played in that too. Right, because I, I think I've seen a commercial. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It looks yeah. like Die Hard, right? Yeah, I no, I've seen a commercial, but I haven't seen the movie yet. 
Wow. So yeah. So my opinion differs from yours in this instance. You saying it's good. I'm saying it's questionable. Uh, well, Eli Roth is branching out. At least that's one good thing. He's branching out into something different. Yeah, definitely true. Uh, we are, uh, they all branch out um, sooner or later. So right, <laughs> but uh, I hope uh, he comes back to horror. Give us another good horror movie or a good thriller. I think Knock Knock deserves a sequel because the way it ended, it was just that's it. Come on, we want some more. Come on. All right, I'm not a big sequel guy, but it, the the way the movie just ended, it was just all right. You need some more to to tell in the story. Oh yeah, I definitely hate the movies that just keep you hanging at the end. In those instances, I will demand a sequel. Exactly. I would demand to know what the heck just happened. Why did it just cut off? No, there needs to be something further before I'm satisfied. Right. And in Knock Knock, Keanu Reeves, he played a good role. I enjoyed his role in that film. And that was Keanu Reeves' first thriller, horror type of film. Uh, so if anybody in the audience has not checked out Knock Knock, I'm looking at you, Stacy, because I know you haven't seen it yet either, right? No, I haven't seen Knock Knock. I <laughs> uh, see. Go watch it. It's a home invasion film. It, I enjoy home invasion films, that's why. But this one is just ridiculous because you have two gorgeous women who are the antagonist and they break into the guy's home. Video games, Resident Evil Revelations PS4. Resident Evil Revelations, also known as Biohazard Revelations in Japan, is an upcoming survival horror video game developed by Capcom. And it originally released for the Nintendo 3DS uh, portable game system in early 2012. But now, Resident Evil Revelations is going to release on the 29th of August on the PS4 and Xbox One, of course, from Capcom. Uh, both ports of the related to the 2012 release also has a sequel that would be coming to the Nintendo Switch. So do look out for this Resident Evil Revelations, Resident Evil Revelations 2, uh, on the Switch, Nintendo Switch, and this is all coming late 2017. So the trailer just dropped for Resident Evil Revelations, and let me tell you, I enjoyed that trailer. It was action-packed. It was. It had horror. It was as if you were watching a movie, and as if we all know, the the last installment for the Resident Evil film released back in May so do check out that film it should be available on uh, VOD I believe uh, it had a limited cinematic release uh, Stacy uh, I know you're not a big gamer but Revel Resident Evil Revelations is is what's bringing the Resident Evil franchise back to survival horror uh, if you're not aware 
Capcom was fucking up this series big time because they were putting uh, Call of Duty type scenarios with multiplayer and, and run and gunning and the survival horror element from Resident Evil just died and a lot of people in the horror community that were gamers they were just upset at this so what is your opinion on the trailer and this whole scenario well the trailer <clears throat> was very creepy um very suspenseful too i have not played any resident evil games what i have not played any resident evil i've seen some of the movies though no, 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 don't, don't, that movie, do not go into this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no. I know, but, um, yeah, no, I, they look really fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. No. <laughs> no, I just have no words for that. No. <laughs> Tomb Raider girl for a while. <laughs> well, I I played Resident Evil One, Resident Evil Two, Resident Evil Nemesis, Resident Evil Four, and then I stopped. Yeah, I stopped with Resident Evil Four because it just got too much. The story. I enjoy video games for the storyline, and the storyline just got crazy. Because you know you have the Umbrella Corporation, then you have this uh, Chris Redfield and da da da, but it just got crazy. It's like what? What's going on here? And all these different monsters and whatever. But like I stated, uh, a lot of people in the survival horror, a gaming enthusiasts, they were mad because Resident Evil, it just took that survival horror away putting call of duty type shit i'm like really come on you know just to just to cater to a larger audience resident evil just bombed and revelations they're releasing this one and if you look at the trailer uh it has survival horror elements but also action elements so what do you favor stacy you you favor that creepiness that you only have three bullets in your gun and you know you can't fight the big boss or the zombie around the corner with three bullets. So you prefer that scenario or do you prefer a scenario like you got uh, weapons up the yin yang and you could just take on the whole world? Oh, I want weapons up the yin yang. <laughs> I want to be able to unload a whole shotgun <laughs> in their head. <laughs> I want high, I want high technology too. Right? You go. You want the night vision. You want to see through walls. Yeah. <laughs> I want the stuff that you see in Batman. I want that type <laughs> of stuff. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want it to be like with the Friday the Thirteenth, where you just cannot kill Jason. No. <laughs> no. I want to be able to kill him. Right. Right. <clears throat> well, I prefer. The three bullet scenario um, there's games like fear that that was a perfect blend of action and horror because yeah you you know you're running and gunning you're taking out the enemy 
but then you got that scare factor you don't know what's around the corner and th there's no zombies or anything in there they're, they're ghosts in that game uh left for dead i enjoyed the action in that one you had the zombies of course but left for dead was multiplayer so you expect that to happen but for resident evil that started out as creepy and then you're putting in these action elements nah it doesn't work for me that's my opinion and as i had mentioned resident evil vendetta it released back in may and uh do check out that film since you want to bring up films resident evil movies stacy check out the animes those were better than the films that were released here in america Wait, Resident Evil has an anime? Yeah, well, I consider them oh, wow. uh, anime. They could be called anything else. Cart cartoons, they are not. No, they're, I consider them animes. You have Resident Evil Degeneration that was released in 2008. Then you have uh, Vendetta just released this year. Uh, there's about two other parts. Yeah. Wow, I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed Vendetta. But it, it has its pros and cons. But if you enjoy Resident Evil, the characters involved, the creatures involved, and the game, in the game, check out the film. If you want to see Mila, yeah, so you watch that other, that other stuff. <laughs> But yeah, I, I still I still gotta watch all the rest of the Resident. How many? It's a lot of Resident Evil. I think I only seen the first three. <laughs> I'm so out of two, out of touch right about now with Resident Evil. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean this franchise, the video game franchise, it spawns so much content. A lot. You got the anime, then the U.S. crappy versions. Then you have a whole bunch of video games and DLCs. Yeah. One, I think it was Resident Evil 4. Yeah, that was my favorite. Because they were in Spain and the virus was different. But then when they went to Africa, that was kind of weird. Because it was, instead of being in the nighttime setting, it was the daytime. And it was, they still kept that creepy factor, but it was that action part that I did not like about it. Yeah, I don't like that action part. Michael Myers coming to Dead by Daylight. Dead by Daylight has a DLC coming out this month in August and is titled Halloween chapter and as the title states the Halloween chapter focuses on Michael Myers and the female protagonist Laurie Strode which is Michael Myers sister these are playable characters and the setting the backdrop is going to be in Handenfield Dead by Daylight for those who are unaware Here's a brief description of this game. Dead by Daylight is an asymmetrical multiplayer 4 versus 1 
horror game where one player takes on the role of a savage killer and the other four players become survivors, frantically scurrying to avoid being caught, tortured and killed. Survivors play in third person and have the advantage of better situational awareness. The killer plays in first person and is more focused on their prey. The survivor's goal in each encounter is to escape the killing ground without getting caught by the killer. Something that sounds easier than it is, especially when the environment changes every time you play. So in the Halloween chapter, it allows players to portray Michael Myers, the killer, and Laurie Strode as the survivor. The DLC offers new um, trophies as well as outfits and perks for Laurie Strode. Dead by Daylight, the Halloween chapter is releasing this month in August. So Stacy, again, um, non-gamer, what is your perspective on this trailer, this DLC added to Dead by Daylight? Um, I loved it. I loved the trailer. Um, and although you don't really see too much in it, I think what really captured me was that that theme music. <laughs> it is so creepy. And uh, it just took me back to the movies. So this is one game that I am definitely excited to play. Right, right. And I'm going to say that the there's a popularity, a rise in popularity with these multiplayer four versus one uh, video game concepts. Um, you have Friday the 13th. You, you, you've heard of Friday the 13th. I know you have. So what, what are your thoughts on that yeah, and I, this one? Well, I didn't, I haven't played Friday the 13th yet. Like when I read that the game was very glitchy and you can't kill Jason. I didn't want to spend my money on the game. I said, well, I'm going to wait until they fix all that before I spend $40. So I haven't played it yet. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Well, well, yeah, because I'm, I'm like, that game was 40 I'm like, you can't kill. I'm like, wait a minute. I, I read that he teleports or something like that. Like, he can kill you, but you can't kill him. What kind of game is that? That's not a fair game. <laughs> it's not fair. In the movies, you can kill him or whatever. Why did they make the game where he's, like, undefeated? Well, in the movie, he cannot die. If you've seen it, he just comes back again and again. The guy exploded. He went to space and got shredded up and somehow he comes back to life with nanobots. Come on. Who makes this shit up? Seriously. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, now that is, that is just wrong right there. Like people were actually bad that you couldn't. And then somebody said that even though you can't kill him, you can outrun him and it's more survival. I'm like survival, my butt. I'm playing survival horror games. But I'm like, well, wait a minute. 
because I'm at this part, I keep talking about the evil within and where it comes to, I think they call them the keepers whatever. Like it takes ammo, to, you know, ammunition to kill them and you, you run out of ammo. So I tried to like fight them with, you know, hand combat and no, you cannot kill them like that. You can't beat them like that. Like this game is stupid. <laughs> What's a game where you cannot progress in? <laughs> well, let me tell you. I, in my opinion, I see these four versus one games rising in popularity. Uh, this is this comes. I think Valve, the corporation Valve, uh, they really put these type of games on the map. Sure, you have Call of Duty and all these other um, combat. Uh, intensive games but I think games like um, Team Fortress and Counter-Strike Left 4 Dead which is a zombie game multiplayer I think those paved the way for these type of games that are four against one and I'm trying to remember Valve released a game that it was four soldiers versus one alien uh, entity and the alien entity was like the predator. He had these vision and he could hunt the people down and you had to do teamwork in order to beat this alien. So now all of a sudden you have Dead by Daylight, you have Friday the 13th. So I think Valve really paved the way for that. And uh, I'm glad for this new survival horror concept. It, it makes you scared. And as you stated, yeah, Jason can't die but I, you know, it's giving you that fear. You're like, okay, I can't kill Jason. What am I gonna do to survive? That's survival horror. And just a little spoiler alert that I've read: never run into the little the, the cabins. You just set yourself up for failure if you do that. Well, of course, yeah, yeah. I could, I, I haven't played the game, but I know if you run to the cabin, that's a death trap because he could just get you in there. You, there's no way exactly. out. Exactly. There's no way out. It's just like the movies. Why would you <laughs> trap yourself in there like that? Like, no, get out of there. What are you doing? Exactly. Haven't you watched the movie? Exactly. And uh, let, let me tell you. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised in down the road that film is going to adapt this video game uh, idea and it's going to be an interactive immersive experience that instead of the audience just sitting there watching a film they're going to be in the film and they're going to be providing decisions for these characters to survive just like in the video game that'll be that'll be that'd That's be awesome. cool that would be cool yeah yeah That's and awesome. that, that was a question that i relayed to an, our online interview with director and co-writer for wtf what the fuck you remember that film <laughs> you remember the film what the yes. fuck we covered that film in our podcast and I, I i did a review on it so what the fuck was pretty good so i asked peter hero uh, about that I think that's going to happen. I think in the future, once VR technology is more developed 
and audiences can engage in the movie yeah watch that's gonna be creepy imagine a slasher film that you're in it oh man you know what if i was a slasher film i'll tell you one thing i know how to survive well how are you gonna survive (laughs) (laughs) easily i i've seen the movies i know how to survive I know what not to do to keep me alive. That's right. Unless the rules change. So you cannot engage and yeah. you can't smoke weed and you can't have sex. So that's that's And see, and that'll be good. If the rules change, that'll be something different, right? Something new. Just when you thought you had it all there, you know, you were that one to pay attention and the killer just changes up on you. Ha, huh, that don't work in here no more. No, no. Don't work in here. Uh-huh. Gotta come with something different from that. That's what you really gotta think on your on your feet. Exactly. This killer is smart. Like how this? How are you going to outlast a smart killer? Yeah, yeah. And that's the type of scenario they have in Dead by Daylight. I mean, that's a that's an interesting concept. And then the shit is that the game changes every time you play. So if you do it the first time, you survive. You try it again, it's not gonna work out. Yep. Hitting you hard every time the game has changed. Right, right. Well, it's about time because the slasher genre is so old and antiquated. They have to change the formula. Television. The X-Files new season. As we all know, the X-Files return with a limited series on Fox. This was last year and I'm not too sure about how the community received this film, uh, this series. Uh, I myself, I'm a big X-Files fan. So I was looking forward to seeing uh, Mulder and Scully going in their adventure into proving in other words the truth is out there now there's word that another series is going to hit Fox and it is also centered on Mulder and Scully and so far we have actor Mitch Pileggi on board in the in this upcoming series and there's those who have followed the X-Files know Mr. Pelegi's role is that of Walter Skinner, an assistant director at the FBI, which he has played this role for, wow, I think since the beginning. And um, no word yet if Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny are up for this new installments, I uh, believe that the negotiations are still on the table. Uh, but the film is set to begin this summer and is set to premiere next season. Uh, yeah, so definitely I'm looking forward to this next few installments for the X-Files. And uh, I want to see what other stories they come up with this time around. And with the UFO phenomena being as popular now that it has ever been, yeah, I think I think Fox should just put a 
X Files series, uh, regular series for the X Files. Like, make it two or three seasons. And if uh, David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson are not on board for each season, make it into an anthology. You don't need to focus so much on them, uh, but have their characters involved in some way in the script. You could also have Skinner involved in the investigations of the unknown. You know, just toss it out there. Uh, they tried that one time with The Lone Gunman, a spin-off. That didn't prove so well, but if they have a good writing team and they can incorporate these integral characters as an anthology, yeah, it, it may have potential. That's just putting it out there. So, Stacy, what are, you, what are your thoughts? This new X-Files. Don't you dare say that you have not seen the X-Files. I've seen them. It's just been years. I mean, I probably only watched maybe a few seasons, a handful of seasons. I mean, not seasons, half of the episodes, honestly. I am so out of touch when it comes to X-Files. And I can't even, like, tell you what they were about. It's been that long. <laughs> well, uh, if fans of the X-Files can look forward to a regular season and also for a limited series engagement on Fox for the X-Files. So, yeah, that's something to look forward to. And the thing with the X-Files is you can... Now you could basically jump into the series. You don't need to watch the whole entire season one up to, I think they had 10 seasons. It's not necessary to watch all 10 seasons to know what's going on now. Uh, just the basics of these characters and they, they, they provide it in a way, the writers and producers put it in a way that someone who's interested could just jump on in and follow what's going on. But, which is the investigation of paranormal and UFOs. The Dark Tower television series. The Dark Tower has the green light for a television series and is in development. Glenn, Maraz no, Glenn Mazzara has been set as the showrunner. He is known for The Walking Dead. News states that the project will be a short quarter series between 10 and 13 episodes. It will air on cable or streaming outlets produced by Media Rights Capital and Sony Pictures Television. Production is slated to begin in 2018, although nothing is yet set in stone. No other information is known at this time. Stay tuned for updates. Uh, Ken, what do you think about this? I know uh, The Dark Tower, the movie, is supposed to be releasing pretty shortly. What do you think about a television series? Well, The Dark Tower actually released on August 4th. And just the other day, I think it was on the news on the on Good Day New York here. And it's like a morning show here in, in New York. And I think they were mentioning something along the lines that the Dark Tower was getting bad raves because it wasn't connecting with the story that Stephen King had written. I'm unfamiliar with 
both the story and the film. I haven't seen the film. I find it to be too fast to put a movie into a television adaptation. It's either they're going to try to milk this uh, idea or I think it's a bit premature. I think it's too fast. If, if they were to see, wait and see how the film does in the box office, wait for the DVD sales to come in, and then you could bring this idea up. But talking about it now, you don't, you don't even know if the DVD sales are going to be that good. You don't even know if the ticket sales are going to be that good. That, that's a huge risk, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, definitely. And um, the Doctor, the movie has already released? Yep. It's oh, wow. August 4th. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. I didn't know it released this yet. Um, <clears throat> no, but I definitely agree with you. I think it is way too soon uh, for a television series. They're jumping the gun there. Yeah. I have not read the book either. Yeah. Well, uh, judging by the synopsis on INDB, it uh, this is a very intriguing uh, concept. Something different, of course. Uh, of course, we had mentioned uh, Idris Elba earlier in this podcast, and he he stars as the protagonist, and Matthew McConaughey stars as the antagonist. Uh, yeah, so they had to wait. They had to wait and uh, see what all the results were. And if people went to see the movie and did not like the movie, what makes you so sure they're going to tune in to a television series? Like, really? That does not make sense. No, it doesn't. Uh, is this an early sign that they are milking it? Yeah, that's what I stated. Yeah, of course they are. Yeah. Whenever they find a good idea, they got to try to milk it as much as possible. And that's a shame. That's a shame. Yeah. They should should just come up with some original stuff. You see, AMC, they're coming up with some original content, anthology horror series, you know, paving the way for new material in 2018, 2019. You know, do stuff like that. Uh, taking in a, a movie. And you know what? Movies to TV don't translate well. We've said that before. Um, Minority, Re- Minority Report did not do good on Fox. Hannibal, even though it had a good following, it got canceled. You know, so the, the evidence is there. And it's too soon. Yes, and another thing uh, when it comes from movies to TV is sometimes the story just isn't enough to span out into a television show, you know? And I've mentioned this before, but I mean, you have your few exceptions like the screen series or screen, the screen series. But, and how is The Mist seems to be doing pretty good missed um right and what about uh the exorcist how is that doing i haven't even watched uh, the exorcist 
and they have season two and i read that they are planning fox is planning to have it for eight seven or eight seasons i'm like and what planet do you come from that you really think the exorcist is going to stretch out to eight seasons i'm calling it that is not going to pass season three at all this you know come on season one the the ratings were were lackluster they started out good then they kind of did the roller coaster in the middle uh no it's not it's, it's not you can't push an idea so far it's going to die every season you gotta have a, a demon possession really yeah, it's gonna get tired yeah it's it's just not enough material they need to stop making all these uh movies and tv shows and just like you said come up with something original right come i up. mean make original tv shows like slasher <coughs> and i'm mad that slasher isn't coming back that was actually a good first season right that first season was great and uh scream as well was pretty good the first season but of course that's another perfect example scream started out good and then the second season the third season you got the same shit going and of course people gotta get bored yes now when it comes to scream i see i was kind of uh, thinking maybe each season was going to correlate with each movie so the first season with the first movie and so on and so on is that not how they're doing uh, i'm not sure i only enjoyed the first season i haven't seen the second season yeah yeah so yeah i I watched the second but you know what that just has so many twists and turns in it and it ends up becoming its own its own you know thing so yeah i was trying to sit there related to the movies i'm just like well that failed (laughs) well i prefer it it did it failed i prefer slasher over oh yes yeah that was the best that was the best and speaking about original content you got to give it to sci-fi i know you don't like sci-fi's tv programming stacy but you gotta give it to them they have some original stuff one of them you should definitely check it out if you haven't i think it's on netflix it's called channel zero it's an anthology harsh series or if you have on demand it should be there under sci-fi uh is Creepy. that the uh, the guy with all the teeth? Right. Made of teeth. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I have to watch that. I mean, come on. That's original. And that's that those ideas are coming from creepy pasta. I you know more about creepy pasta than I do, Stacy, and you know those stories are creepy. So Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> do some of those yeah. see sci-fi knows how to provide original content and you're actually putting a spotlight on indie horror because creepypasta in a way that's indie horror that's just regular people writing really creepy stuff and you're putting it on TV see so. and to sum up this uh, segment Dark Tower for TV is a bad idea thank you for tuning in to episode 4 season 5 dk mag podcast once again my name is ken artus 
founder and editor for DKMag.com. Please visit our website, D-E-C-A-Y-M-A-G.com. And my co-host this evening was... Stacey Cox, staff correspondent for DK Mag. We're on Stitcher. Be sure to rate and review DK Mag, Stitcher rating and reviews, and help us rank. And of course, you can find our podcast on Google Music and also on iTunes Podcast. You can also find us across social network platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Google Plus for those who use Google Plus. I mean, that's a good platform. And why isn't everybody on it? I mean, I guess everybody's enjoying the kitten videos on Facebook. <laughs> I'm serious. Hey, what you, you mean the pizza, uh, the pizza space kitten uh, pictures? <laughs> oh my gosh! And not only that, but the 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 flying unicorn shooting rainbow lasers out his ass. <laughs> right. i'm like this is why i don't have a facebook account but dk mag has a facebook page so definitely look for dk mag uh yeah so with that said thank you for joining us and tuning in remember to share download visit our site that's how you support us help our statistics rise and help us be one of the number one source for horror, thriller, and sci-fi on the net. Thank you so much. <laughs>